Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Good morning again. Good morning. Good to see you all. Father Morgan Reed, vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. This is the second to last week of um, the season of Epiphany. And all of our passages this morning were very much geared towards um, God's glory going out to the nations. And so this is um, designated as World Mission Sunday. Um, And this Sunday, uh, we we focus, as we have been throughout Epiphany, on God's glory going through the nations as we think about the, uh, the wise men, the magi. Uh, and continuing on, even in the passage this morning, about the gospel going to the Jews, the Samaritans, and even unto the ends of the earth in the book of Acts. But our gospel reading this morning is an interesting one, because it talks about Jesus having compassion, and that compassion that Jesus has is the foundation of his mission, which I think is interesting. We don't often think of compassion being the basis for mission. But compassion, when I think of compassion... And I think of mission together. One of the people that it reminds me of in church history is a woman named St. Monica, uh, an African saint, mother of St. Augustine. Father Ryan had brought up a few weeks ago Augustine's City of God, which is a great book. Uh, And if you want something shorter by him that's more approachable, um, one of the books that he wrote is called His Confessions. Uh, It sort of reads like an autobiography. Uh, And in that autobiography, there are no less than three whole chapters devoted to his mother, Monica. She obviously left a lasting impression on his life and his story. Um, And in one of the chapters, it's all about Monica's death. And and it's a really touching chapter that, as I was reading this week, I was just struck by the places that tears show up in this story. And so... I'm going to actually just quote the, the whole section for you. It, it, this is St. Augustine talking about his mother. Little by little I recovered my former thoughts of your handmaid, her holy praise of you, her holy tenderness and observance towards us. Of this I was suddenly deprived, and I was minded to weep in your sight for her and for myself in her behalf and in my own. And I allowed the tears that I had restrained to overflow as much as they desired. I rested my heart upon them, and it found rest. For it was before your eyes, not in front of men who would have scornfully interpreted my weeping. And now, Lord, in writing, I confess it to you. Read it any who will, and interpret it as you wish. If anyone finds sin in the tears I wept for my mother for a small portion of an hour, let him not berate me. This mother, who now was dead to mine eyes, had for many years wept for me, that I might live before your face. Again, that last sentence. This mother, who now was dead to mine eyes, had for many years wept for me, that I might live before your face. Monica, St. Monica, her tears formed part of the prayers for her son. Her tears were a part of the mission of God. As love and compassion welled up in her for this person that she was uh, called to care for, who was entrusted into her care. 
Her missional action uh, towards her son came from a heart of deep compassion. And it was a heart that was also seeking the life of God in the church. There's a a long chapter about her going to Milan uh, where her son was also so that she could go and daily attend Mass and listen to St. Ambrose preach. She was also the impetus for St. Augustine's conversion. Her inner life gave her words gravity. Uh, And the compassion that she showed her son, Augustine, left an imprint on him of what mission in the kingdom of God looks like. She had the compassion of a tender shepherd. And, and, and that was not lost on this hurting little lamb. It's what she shows us then is an example of the very thing that Jesus uh, exemplifies in this chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus sets a paradigm forward for us in the Gospel passage today. The mission of Jesus begins with the compassion of a good shepherd. The mission of Jesus. When we think of world missions, anyways we want to use that word mission in reference to God, it starts with a compassionate heart that reflects the compassion of the good shepherd. And so when we come to this section in Matthew 9, what we're coming to is the end of a lot of snapshots throughout the chapter of Jesus doing uh, several, two really important things throughout different towns and villages. First, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He was, so he was proclaiming, and he was healing people. Those were very, two very important things that Jesus was doing in his mission. And so with this small paragraph that Father Ryan read, what it's doing is it's summarizing all those snapshots uh, where he is, uh, you know, healing and preaching. And then this forms a pivot where Jesus is now calling the disciples to go on that kingdom mission as well. So we're pivoting from Jesus on his mission to the disciples on their mission. And so you can read us on our mission as well. In verse 36, Jesus sees the crowds, and it says he has compassion on them. It's a word that's really hard to put into one word in English. We've chosen compassion, but it is like this deep, visceral gut reaction that he has towards these crowds. And why is it? Because they look harassed, and they look vulnerable, like sheep who are vulnerable, sitting out there among the elements without a shepherd. The first thing he does is look. So notice that he has this habit of seeing people while he's ministering. And I, like, it seems trivial to have to mention that he sees, but I think it does challenge our assumptions of what successful ministry looks like. Uh, because we're often accustomed to being in a product-oriented space uh, in the D.C., Northern Virginia area. Like, what is good ministry? How do we measure it? Think of all the things we used to measure successful ministry. They're all product-oriented. Attendance, cash, building, whatever it is. But this is a very process-oriented view of ministry to see. And we should likewise have a process orientation when we think about ministry. Instead of numbers, I wonder if a better metric would actually be, and it would be really hard to measure this, but what percentage of people, when they come here, feel seen and feel known. That would be a good metric to talk about success in the church. Do you feel seen? Do you feel known? Do you feel loved by being a part of this community? The kingdom of God doesn't move at this vast, uh, intense uh, pace. It moves at the pace of one life and one household at a time. And while I know God can use revivals, and he has in history, or movements like that, 
That isn't where you and I live, right? Like, we're not sitting here looking for the next revival for the gospel to go forward. Instead, you and I, we share the gospel in our lives. It's not something that we should, the revival is not something we should be waiting for. The way that you and I live out the gospel depicts for other people the way that the gospel uniquely shapes us. So the good news of Jesus as we live it out paints a story for people. And what story are they looking at when they see us? The kingdom of God goes from you to others. Then when we have a a habit of looking, a habit of seeing what God is actually doing in other people. Do we make a habit of looking, listening, seeing, paying attention to what God is doing in another person? When I think of pastoral counseling, one of the things that uh, ways that I think about it is I often think of it like spiritual direction where I'm listening to you and I'm listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and I'm discerning with you about what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you, how he might be shaping you, what patterns I see. And and when I think of spiritual direction with the Christian, I, I don't think that actually evangelism is that far different from that. And so it reframes evangelism for us, too. Uh, if, if you see the encounters that you have with other people outside the church as opportunities to listen for the Holy Spirit, then you're going to see the way that Jesus saw. So it's not product orientation, getting a message perfect, seeing what kind of response they have. It's the process of us entering into life with somebody else and listening for the Holy Spirit. So Jesus looks at the crowds with compassion. And there was something deep inside him that ached for these crowds. And why? It's because they were like sheep that had been left exposed to the elements, left exposed to predators. They were susceptible to bad weather. They were susceptible to predators. They had, uh, along with that, they had terrible shepherds. It's not unlike Ezekiel 36 where he rails the leadership of Israel for being terrible shepherds. No one was caring for them well. They were just out there on their own trying to figure it out. They couldn't find where to graze. No one was leading them to the pastures where they could graze or where they could lie down beside still waters to have their souls restored. When we think of Psalm 23. The vision of God for these people was often a legalistic vision of a transactional kind of deity that saw their suffering and did nothing about it. And to make it worse, he actually needed their appeasement. So even if people didn't articulate their theology that way, it was the way of life that bore out their deepest beliefs about who God is. So Jesus sees that, and then as he sees that and notices it, his heart breaks for that. Because he longs so much for them to have a good shepherd, and he wants to be that good shepherd for them. The question that I was asking myself this week as I read this text, is, and we could ask, is, Do our hearts break for lost sheep around us? Do we see people as lost sheep who either have no shepherd or a terrible shepherd? And does that uh, elicit some deep response within us for them? We shouldn't always think of missions as some external activity that's constantly outpacing our inner journey with the Lord. Um, It's not laboring out of our own strength to somehow enlarge the kingdom. Uh, it's not dependent on us. It, that's too easy, actually. For people who are type A in Northern Virginia, you know, we think of missions and we think, well, if I can throw enough money at it uh, out there, or if I can get the right teams, the right people involved, like 
then we will be successful at missions in our church. Um, but it isn't giving, it's not just giving money to people out there who are doing missions, um, as helpful as that can be, because we do that, and that's a good thing. You and I are all called to God's mission in the world in different ways. So we're, we're not saying missions is something other than who we are. There's not a disconnect. Whatever we might say about God's mission in the world, um, our participation in it starts with compassion. The compassion that matches the compassion of Jesus, who's the good shepherd. So our interior work then, the interior work that we do with the Lord, should become the foundation for the external action. We don't work, work, work to produce something in us. We work with the Lord on who we are in ourselves to produce external action that is consistent with the kingdom of God. So mission and missions becomes you and I joining with God and being good shepherds in a world that's filled with otherwise neglectful and even wicked shepherds. That's what missions becomes. And as we think of World Mission Sunday... We can start to talk about, and we should talk about missions out there, because God is at work in the world, and we want to see and be a part of that as well. Um, But that's never divorced from the mission of God that starts within our own interior life. And I think it's one of the things I appreciated in thinking about St. Monica this week, is that her, her ministry to her son stemmed from an authentic interior life. So Jesus moves to a different analogy in this passage. He moves away from shepherding to agrarian farming. And he talks about fields of grain that are ready to be harvested. And those fields represent the crowds that Jesus is having compassion on. There's this abundance mentality in the kingdom of God. It's not like, well, shoot, who out there wants to hear about Jesus? Like, they don't need a church, you know, they've got it all together. That's not an abundance mentality. Um, instead the mentality that is in the kingdom of God is that fundamentally uh, is that the kingdom of God is fundamentally good and, and people who are out there don't even yet know what they need how much they long for the goodness of the resurrection life of Jesus people that we encounter don't, don't always know what they need even if they look like they have it all put together And so the church has always been this missional movement that sort of is awkwardly organizational. Uh, At times when it is too organizational, it might lose the goodness of the movement. But it is this missional movement that's awkwardly organizational as it brings the goodness of the gospel to different cultures around the world. And generally that happens not at the pace of the masses, although there might be exceptions. It often happens one person one household at a time. And so Jesus tells the disciples what to pray for. And notice Jesus doesn't often do that. We have the Lord's Prayer, but other than that, there's not a lot of times where Jesus says, here's how you should pray. But he does here. There's going to be more work than they can handle. There's going to be more work than you and I can handle um, if we see the kingdom of God as abundant. And so one of the things that you and I have to start with is the fact that We are actually an answer to that prayer. Like if you're sitting here this morning, you are a laborer in God's field. And then as you do it, you're supposed to go to the personnel committee, the, um, what do they call it, the the chief harvester. I can't remember how they translate it in this passage. But the idea of the guy who does the, the hiring at the farm, and you're supposed to ask him for more laborers. And so you and I are going to the Lord and saying, 
there's more to do than I can actually handle here, Lord. So would you bring other people into this who also have capacity, who also love you and want to see the kingdom of God go forth? And so we're helping people discern the life that they need with their creator. In some ways, you can think of um, Missions Sunday as a reminder that you and I are all called to a kind of spiritual direction. Like there, there are spiritual directors, but they just show you a type of what we're all supposed to be doing. Um, we are all spiritual directors. Uh, there's so much good life transformation happening that you and I can't steward it all ourselves. And that's a great mentality to have as we approach the world, as we come together. Our interior work then as good shepherds becomes the foundation for missions um, out there. And so speaking of out there, um, out there, beyond these walls, even beyond this country, one of the tasks for our church moving forward is to discern how our church is going to support those both locally and globally who are being good shepherds cross-culturally. So the one of the things I'm thinking about, I'd love others to think about it with me. I'm hoping to develop a document as we have a vestry. They'll also have hands on this as well. Um, and so it won't be finished until after we have a vestry in May. But right now, one of the ways that I want us to start thinking about this is through this question. Who is showing people the kingdom of God by doing the deep inner work to shepherd people well out of Christ-like compassion? Who is showing people the kingdom of God by doing that deep inner work to, show, uh, to shepherd people well out of Christ-like compassion? As you guys pray about that and you know people, um, I'd love to be in conversation about that. Like, What could that look like? And as we think about developing kind of parameters about who we support and why, um, I would love to be a church that gives to those who are good shepherds around the world. So help me and start praying for this. We'll start discerning together who we can support and why. Being process-oriented even helps us reframe the metrics for them and what success looks like. Um, I remember filling out a ministry form back when I was in Bible college because we used to have to do local ministry. And one of the questions that always irked me was, how many conversions were there? How many conversions did you have? It was a Baptist school, so very conversionist. But um, the answer was always zero. <laughs> I never had any conversions. I never had successful ministry. Um, but it's a terrible question, right? People desire to have this product-oriented approach to ministry. But out there, when I was having conversations, I could see how people desired to know the goodness of the gospel and the kingdom of God. And they aren't always able to articulate that, much less pray some prayer. Um, and so the conversion of the heart isn't always equated with the praying of a prayer. The conversion of the heart may happen in the stillness of the heart where I can't see what's happening. Harvesting means being faithful to discern with other people their need for the gospel of God. That's our part in harvesting. It's not forcing a conversion or a product. It is coming alongside people to discern with them their need for the gospel of God and its goodness. Having a mentality of abundance means that we don't push, we listen. It means that we're faithful to speak the gospel as well in a way that is sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's doing in that person's life. And then we ask the farmer. We ask the farmer to hire more people to help us. Um, God is the one who sows. God is the one who waters. 
And by laboring and harvesting, I mean is that we are discerning where the Spirit's at work in those we encounter and that we are naming God's grace for them. Monica labored in tears and her son, uh, for her son with this confidence and compassion. And I want to be like St. Monica, whose heart broke for the lost um, and saw people as entrusted to her care as a shepherd. She also had a confidence in God for the things that she couldn't yet see. And I love that. She waited on the Holy Spirit to work. And she showed us this great example of Jesus, whose compassion created the foundation for his mission. So you and I, we're called to slow down. We're called to observe. We're called to be watchful. We're called to be mindful of those that we meet. And so my hope is that we show others what the Good Shepherd is like. That we show what the Good Shepherd is like through a deep compassion for them. That they would know the compassion of Jesus when they meet us. The same compassion that Jesus has for you and for me. Let me pray for us. O God, whose Son Jesus Christ is the Good Shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name and follow where he leads who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen.